This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Let's pray. Jesus, as you moved out of the tomb, move into our hearts with your peace, your love, your comfort, and your victory. We pray this in your powerful and saving name. Amen. We all have doubts, okay? We all do. For example, if you're a married woman and you send your husband to the grocery store, you have doubts. And if you're a guy, whether you're married or not, and someone suggests that you should go to the doctor, you doubt it'll do any good. We all have doubts. We maybe have doubts because it's the first time we're doing it. Uh, Doubts because we know our own limits and weaknesses. Maybe we we have doubts because we don't have enough information we don't know, or maybe we have doubts because we've forgotten things that we used to know. We have doubts because of our feelings and because of our opinions. We have doubts because of the opinions of others and, and maybe because of the hypocrisy of others. We all have doubts. For example, if you're a Christian... What will it take for you to realize that God isn't treating you as you deserve in your mind for your greatest shame, your greatest regret, your greatest sin? If you're a Christian and all the things that are happening in your life and have happened in your life, and as you look throughout the whole world, all the things that are happening, what will it take for you to really believe that God is working through all of that for your good. If you're not a Christian, what will it take? What will it take for you to believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior? If you have any doubts about Christ and Christianity, whether you're a Christian or not, you are actually in good company. This morning on on Easter Sunday, we're gonna turn into the scriptures and and we're gonna see a a person who had big doubts. In fact, you know, that's one of the things I like about the scripture. It's just really honest. It doesn't try to hide things. This isn't a, a book of propaganda. It just shares what's really going on, including doubt. Doubt even of prominent people doubt of people like you and me. So this morning, we're going to be concluding our series, Dealing With My Doubt. And this is the question we're going to answer. What is the solution to my doubt? We go back into the scriptures and we go back to the first Easter evening. John chapter 20 says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, 
When the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I want you to know he had to tell them right up front, peace be with you because they were freaking out over what they just saw. And he goes on. After this, he said, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Uh, Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, on that first Easter evening, we don't know where Thomas was. We don't know why he wasn't there with the other ones. I mean, maybe he's one of those guys that's like habitually 10, 15 minutes late, okay? We don't know. But I think if if we think about the scenario and the situation, the circumstance, I think we can understand what's going through Thomas's mind and in his heart. He's hurting. He's hurting bad his friend, his mentor, his teacher, someone he spent the last three years of his life with, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life is no longer alive. And Thomas is devastated. He's shattered. He's confused. Maybe he's not with the other disciples because he just needs some alone time. He just needs some time to try and figure this all out. Here's what I know is if you've ever lost anything or anyone special, whether that was a job or a dream, a marriage or a loved one, If you've ever experienced grief, you know exactly how Thomas is feeling. Sometime after Jesus appeared to those other disciples, minus Thomas, Thomas joins in with the other disciples. Now, Now keep in mind, these other disciples, they're fired up. They're bouncing off the walls. They see, they know, eyewitness, Jesus is alive. They can't wait to see Thomas because they've got great news for Thomas. These guys are super excited. They're far more excited than our children were to find their Easter baskets or eggs today. Okay? They can't wait. And when Thomas enters, those 10 disciples all become immediately like auctioneers trying to break in with the best news, the first, huh? be the first ones. Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, he's risen. And Thomas is like, yeah, doubt it. Doubt it. In fact, you guys are really 
sick to come up with that kind of story. You guys are gross. Thomas is hurting. And he doesn't want to get hurt again. Thomas is defensive. Thomas was logical. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And it's because of this that we call Thomas Doubting Thomas. But let's be fair, let's be honest. All the other disciples doubted too. That's why they were in that room with locked doors out of fear of the Jewish leaders. They doubted too. You know what we should call Thomas? We shouldn't call Thomas Doubting Thomas. We should call Thomas Truthful Thomas. He was just being honest. Thomas didn't say, I will never believe. Thomas said, I will not believe unless. And I think that's where a whole lot of people are today. I will not believe unless. Like Thomas, People today, right, consider the the resurrection. That's an absurd teaching. No one rises from the dead. And that's exactly the point. No human can rise from the dead. And yet the claim of Christ and of Christianity is that Jesus did. So what do you think? What do you believe? Do you have any doubts about the resurrection? Some people doubt the resurrection because they don't think Jesus died in the first place. There's no resurrection because he didn't die. He merely fainted. In all the pain that he was going through, he lost consciousness. They looked at him. He looked dead. They put him off the cross, put him in the tomb, and then the cool, humid air of that tomb revived him. He gained consciousness again. And you know what? Sometimes we see stuff like that today, where people are presumed to be dead, but they're not. but let's check out the evidence, okay? Let's look at the things that we do know about that whole scenario. Jesus, for example, was whipped by the Roman soldiers 39 times, okay? The whip that was used had like metal and and bone on it to give it weight and also hooks so that when the the whip hit his body, it, it not only punished him by the weight, but it grabbed his flesh and pulled it off. That happened to him 39 times. I don't even want that once. Okay? I want that one time. 39 times. And understand that according to Roman law, the death penalty was being whipped 40 times. 
In other words, they whipped him to an inch of his death. But that's not all. That's just part of it. They, they placed a crown of thorns on him. I remember growing up in El Paso every now and then we're playing like baseball and whatever and the, and the ball would go into the bushes and we'd reach our hand into the bush and, and every now and then we got into our hand what we called a, a sticker and it was a, a small thorn, maybe a quarter inch long. And when that hit our fingertip, our entire body shuddered because of the pain. Well, this crown of thorns that they placed on Jesus, the thorns are like three or four inches long. The crown was pounded into his head. That also, all by itself, is enough to kill a person. But that's not all. Then they crucified him. Then they took nails and, and hammered him through the tree, through his wrist, through his ankles, where the, the nerve endings are so tender. And then beaten and bloodied and in a pulp, he was supposed to try and raise his body up to get his diaphragm off of his lungs so he could breathe. See, that's, that's how people died during crucifixion for the most part was by asphyxiation. Now, if we look at the evidence, Jesus died. Scripture says, when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. So the Roman soldiers are there. They're looking at him because he hasn't moved. There's no breath there. There's no pulse there. He's dead. But just to make sure. And one of the guards rammed a spear through Jesus' side and it went up by his heart and it broke open the pericardium sac around his heart. And when that happened, a clot of blood and water serum flowed down. Okay. Understand, they didn't know what that meant back then, this blood clot and this serum, but we know what it means today. Scientifically, medically, we know that when that happens, when the blood and the water separate, that's when a person is dead. For someone to believe that, that Jesus didn't die, the evidence is all on one side of it. All on one side of it. So then what about the resurrection? A, a lot of people think that the, the resurrection, again, is absurd. It's a, a legend, a myth. It's a fable. People have said, you know, Jesus' disciples, they came in the middle of the night and they stole his body. Do you know that scripture addresses that? This is what scripture says. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. 
So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. I could see like one guard, maybe two guards falling asleep during the night. But there were like 16 guards there. And that they all fell asleep. And then that the disciples came in the middle of the night and rolled this like 2,000 pound stone away, a stone that was never supposed to be moved, you know, never capable of being moved. They move it away without waking up a single Roman soldier. Doubt it. But what if they did take his body? How do you explain then that they were hiding out of the fear of the Jewish leaders on one day and then on the next day they're ready to give up their life for seeing Jesus? That's what they said. You see, people will die for what they believe to be true. What they think is true. Even if it's false. But people don't tend to die for what they know to be a lie. History tells us all the disciples, all the eyewitness disciples, all but one of them died for their faith in the resurrected Jesus. And the one that didn't die for his faith, he was exiled off into an island by himself because of his faith. Dead people don't rise to life. We know it now and they knew it then. And that is the point. Theologian N.T. Wright said, the early Christians did not invent the empty tomb and the meetings and the sightings of the risen Jesus in order to explain a faith they already had. They developed that faith because of what they saw with their own eyes, because of what they saw, because of what they experienced, because of what they didn't think was going to happen or could happen, did happen. No way. But then it was. This is where it gets pretty cool. Let's go back in scripture. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Dead people don't come to life. Thomas knew that. And then Jesus, the living Jesus, 
appeared to him. And then the greatest skeptic gave the greatest confession ever. My Lord and my God. Stunning. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. And then he speaks about all of us who would believe about him later. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He saves his word for us. It says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Theologian Oswald Chambers said, doubt is not always a sign that a person is wrong. It may be a sign that the person is thinking. If you have doubts, be honest about them. Pursue them. Learn to doubt your doubts. Don't just question Christianity. Learn to question and to doubt the truth of what is replacing Christ and Christianity in your life. And you know what? Use the, the, the same magnitude, the same effort in exploring that truth. And I think you're going to end up with a different conclusion than you have. Just try it. See, just as Jesus met Thomas in his doubts, so also Jesus meets us in our doubts. You can take my word for it, or you can read about it. For example, uh, the baseball season, Major League Baseball season just started. You can take my word for it or you can read about it. In one of the games this past week, the Milwaukee Brewers did something amazing. They hit back to back to back home runs. You can take my word for it or you can read about it. Jesus meets us in our doubts in his word, the scriptures. You can take my word for it or you can read about it. In fact, I wanna encourage you, there's a QR code up on the screen now. I encourage you, go ahead and grab your phone out, take a picture of that QR code and you'll be able to read about it because it's gonna take you to a version Bible plan, a seven-day Bible reading plan called Doubting God. Okay? Those devotions, daily devotions, will take you about four minutes to read. You can take my word for it, or you can read about it. Hmm? And then I invite you to come back next week. 
See, this is what I'm convinced of. No matter who you are, you will find the answer to the question, what is the solution to my doubt? The what is actually a who. The who is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to your doubts. When you go to the empty tomb and find nothing there, you find everything that you're looking for because Jesus lives to give it. Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. And because Jesus lives, no matter who you are, guess what? Your victory starts right now. Let's pray. Lord God, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for being among us today and working through your word. We thank you that, that Jesus and Christianity is, is not some ideology, but that Christianity is all about a person who was dead but is now alive. Jesus, fill us with your presence and calm our doubts and fears and transform our lives with your love. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.